G'day, it's Phil Edwards, Vision CEO here, with a quick invitation to become part of this amazing beacon of hope called Vision. Together we can put our love into action to help people of all kinds build or rebuild their lives on the truth of God. Please consider the part you can play during our upcoming Visionathon appeal, remembering that it's your support that makes Vision possible, including this podcast. Life, culture and current events from a biblical perspective. 2020 with Neil Johnson on Vision. On a Monday, we like to check in with the Australian Christian Lobby and find out what's on the political agenda for the coming week. Martin Isles, Managing Director of the Australian Christian Lobby, back with us. Hello, Martin. Welcome back to 2020. Good morning, Neil. It's good to be back. And you've been on a short break too, Martin, uh, travelling a few different international exotic locations. Give us an insight into your travels. <laughs> that sounds very nice, doesn't it? I'm uh, sure everyone I was working. I was um, in uh, Thailand, actually, for a week. There was a group of uh, young Christians in their 20s who were in law, public policy and so forth from right across Asia that came together for a training academy uh, and a bunch of us who were engaged in this kind of work uh, as Christians from across the Asia-Pacific region went over there to uh, be part of the faculty for that and to do some teaching. It was a bit new for me uh, moving into the international sphere, but there's been a lot of requests, uh, and this one came from a group that uh, I'm particularly close to, and so I went over there with uh, John Steenhoff, who's the uh, principal uh, and managing director of the Human Rights Law Alliance, for those who are listening who might know that organization, a sister organization to ACL. Uh, And look, it was a wonderful time, Neil. Uh, It was very, very edifying. There was a great bunch of young people there. And uh, one of the uh, key things to come out of it was the desire in places like India and other Asian countries to establish ACL-type movements, some grassroots movements over there, which could be very influential. And uh, yeah, we had a good time uh, talking to them about how that might be done uh, and doing various other talks. Well, we'd have to say that is one of the most exciting things we could hear today too, given the uh, way that ACL has become very influential in Australia and that you might have opportunity to sow a few seeds and vision and dreams about what can happen in nations like Thailand. Uh, Wonderful to hear that. And let's get on to some of the issues we're facing, what's on our political agenda this week. And uh, there's some issues that you've been calling the government to be accountable for, and that is the use of taxpayer money that's supporting the trans lobby. What are your thoughts here, Martin? Well, Neil, this is something we see all the time. I mean, the latest news is that the government, the federal government, that is, is going to allocate $13 million of taxpayers' money uh, towards the development of workplace policies to affirm the trans movement. Uh, And this is all the stuff that people are getting used to, you know, replacing words like birthing mother to birthing parent and viewing the whole all-gender toilet things and then running events like drag bingo and all this and going to the Mardi Gras and all that kind of stuff. I, I still can't fathom how it costs $13 million. I mean, that's bigger than ACL's annual budget and we get an awful lot more done than changing workplace policy. Um, But, you know, this is the sort of thing that the government does uh, where their money 
is always feeding this trans juggernaut. You know, even when we get sued for using the wrong pronouns or something by activists, they're backed by government-funded legal centres. The laws are being enforced by government-funded human rights bodies. Uh, You know, and then all this money is going into the education system to ensure that the trans affirmative approach is being taught in schools. And it's all being funded by a government. And the problem with this is, first of all, we know it's wrong. We know it's a mistake. We know it's not good for children. We know it's causing lifelong regret. Uh, But now that issue is becoming more widely understood. And the reason I say that is that people may have heard uh, that there's a gender clinic in the United Kingdom. In fact, it's a world-leading gender clinic, uh, and it was the major gender clinic in the United Kingdom for children with gender dysphoria, and it was called the Tavistock Clinic. And it became famous because a young lady by the name of Kira Bell sued the Tavistock Clinic because they put her on puberty blockers and hormones and through various medical therapies, some of which are irreversible. And of course, she uh, woke up one day and said, well, hang on, I am a woman. I'm not a man. uh, And this is all a big mistake. And I've been counseled wrongly by the gender clinic on this. And she took them to, uh, I believe it was all the way to the High Court of the United Kingdom. And so that case became famous and the clinic was exposed for its practices and there was a review that was initiated by uh, a doctor called Hilary Cass uh, who's the former president of the Royal College of Pediatricians and Child Health. They did a review into the Tavistock Clinic and what was going on there and Dr Cass said that the practices of the Tavistock Clinic, which are the same I might add as the practices of the gender clinics here in Australia, She said they put young people at considerable risk of poor mental health and that that this treatment was not a safe or viable long-term option. And if you go through that review, they they charged the Tavistock Clinic with inadequately assessing patients, rushing medicalisation, failing to safeguard children, indifference to the special vulnerability of um, autistic young people, which were disproportionately represented in the numbers of trans kids that the clinic did nothing about, uh, substandard research, undue influence of political actors on the clinic, uh, and it's like trans activist groups and things like that, and the intimidation of whistleblower staff. Uh, And so Tavistock has been defunded by the National Health Service in the United Kingdom. It's been been shut down. Uh, And this reflects a move away from this whole gender-affirming approach, which is to say a child comes in and says, yep, I'm gender dysphoric. And what happens? They rush them onto puberty blockers. They rush them into hormone therapy. They say, yep, the way you feel in your head means that we should carve up your body and we should put you on hard medication with crazy side effects. What's the result? Well, a whole bunch of children who have been uh, by whom we have done the wrong thing as a society. And the government has funded this every step of the way. So I I raise this because there is a serious change emerging from the United Kingdom on this. A lot of us saw it coming, but a serious change uh, where those in the medical establishment are saying, hang on. What is being done here is a human rights abuse. What is being done here is an abuse of children. And it's got to stop. Uh, that's a good thing. But here in Australia, uh, as sometimes we are, merrily going on our way, slow to recognise what is happening overseas. And so uh, ACL is calling on the federal government to stop funding this madness because it's going to come here. 
because there are already rumbles of legal cases starting here, uh, much like there are legal cases starting in the UK. Um, indeed, there is a class action being brought against the Tavistock Clinic, and the lawyers who are running that class action say that they're expecting as many as 1,000 families to join it to sue the Tavistock Clinic for the treatment that they offered. So the Tavistock Clinic is a little bit of a warning, a forerunner to what may be upon us here in Australia because what I know listeners can hear is your criticism here of governments is that they are plunging headlong into tragedy around these issues of abuse, that the future looks like litigation upon litigation, the courts filled with these sorts of cases. And so, Martin, the government, they're either ignorant or they don't care about the consequences. What are your thoughts for how this might affect our governments and do we need some special inquiry to be able to turn the way around that uh, changes the direction we're heading? Yeah, well, there was, a, unfortunately, under the Morrison government, there was some talk about running an inquiry into Australia's gender clinics. And the reason for that is because those gender clinics, whether it be, uh, you know, sort of up in Brisbane at the Children's Hospital or in Sydney or, or in Melbourne or in Perth, the big ones, uh, they are seeing uh, increases in the number of patients that are being referred to them uh, in the thousands of percent. Uh, so I'm not even exaggerating, thousands of percentage points increases in children coming to gender clinics uh, in Australia over the last few years. And they're expanding those clinics. They're putting extra floors on them in the hospital. They're getting bigger and bigger and bigger. And what's happening? Children are coming in because they've heard things at school. They've heard things online. And they're saying, I am not a boy, I'm a girl or vice versa. And these clinics are taking a Tavistock approach. They are saying they are rushing them onto puberty blockers. Uh, and from there, we know that, you know, the whole idea gets established in their mind before they're 18, an age at which they're not even allowed to get a tattoo, even if their parents give them permission. You know, it's crazy. And they're going down this gender affirmative line. And what we're saying is, look, all in the name of political trends, all in the name of political correctness, the government has been pushing this and supporting this and funding this every step of the way. And those of us who have been trying to speak out uh, have been cancelled off social media and have been attacked and have been undermined and called haters. Uh, actually, what's going on here is that, uh, is, is, is that this is one of the greatest medical scandals, I think, of recent decades. Uh, and it's, it's really got to stop. And so the government is doing the wrong thing. It is out of step with what's going on overseas. Uh, the lawsuit that is arising there, but also um, there is uh, actually a local lawsuit emerging as well. So uh, they need to be careful. It is a trend. Uh, in fact, non-binary appears to be something even of a popular fad for teens and children. Uh, you mentioned that there is a case that's emerged in New South Wales, a detransitioner, a legal case, and uh, described as just the tip of the iceberg, Martin. Yeah, and I think that's right, Neil. I mean, in our work, we have had people contact us to let us know that they are in this case, this category of what are called transgender regressors. So they tend to be children uh, who went to clinics, who were swiftly put on treatments, 
Uh, and later in life, uh, as I suppose is unsurprising for those of us with a bit of wisdom uh, about these things, later in life, uh, these young people realise uh, what a tragedy has come upon them because they have been given irreversible therapies and treatments, uh, and they actually realised that it was uh, it was it was a psychological thing at the time, uh, and it was not actually reflective of the fact that they were born in the wrong body at all. Uh, and of course, the pain uh, that that they go through, uh, and the just the the, the the horror of that situation, is really hard to convey. I've read letters, I've read emails from people. They break your heart. Um, they really, really do. Uh, and suicide ideation and all this stuff comes in in a very big way. Uh, and one that's come to the the, the public consciousness uh, is a detransitioner from New South Wales. It's a it's a woman called Jay Langadinus. Uh, and she is suing her psychiatrist for professional negligence uh, because when she was 22, she had her breasts and her womb surgically removed uh, because she said that she was a male, and that was as a result of treatments that began when she was a child. Uh, and, you know, one thing leads to another, and children go on this pathway, and it becomes unstoppable. Uh, she's 31 now, and she's facing the rest of her life uh, sterile and with treatments that she cannot reverse. Uh, and so she is suing her, um, her, her psychiatrist, saying that um, she was recklessly rushed into treatment as a child before she could properly give informed consent. And the United Kingdom High Court raised this. They said children can't surely give informed consent at such a tender age to such life-altering procedures. Um, and uh, this, um, this case in Australia is going ahead. Uh, it's going ahead as well as a case in the United Kingdom where they're saying up to a 1,000 families could join that case in the United Kingdom. Uh, I agree with those who are saying it's the tip of the iceberg. Um, and that's uh, what her solicitor, Anna Kerr, from the Feminist Legal Clinic has said. It's just the tip of the iceberg and there's going to be more litigation on this. Uh, and look, I hope there is. If that's what it takes to turn government policy around here, uh, and to vindicate those who have at great cost of their reputation been trying to speak out against this. I think of people like Professor John Whitehall at the University of Western Sydney, who has suffered a lot in his reputation because of his speaking out, then that's, that's, that's what needs to happen. Uh, we need to see some of these legal cases come forwards. Uh, and I would just say the government would be well served in changing course <laughs> before all of this comes to the surface. Um, and uh, I think it's worth praying about this because this is one of the most uh, serious attacks, I think, on children in the last 10 years or so in this country. And if these cases can be used to reverse course, I think that would be a tremendous and a wonderful thing. Interesting uh, public perception, uh, whether this is a test case that actually gleans significant media coverage because governments tend to act where there is public pressure and if there's not much media coverage to this case, uh, perhaps it'll be ignored. Any thoughts around uh, whether the mainstream media might be picking up this case to follow it through? Look, I think it will be slow. Um, I think it will be slow. I mean, there's two. There's Jay Langadinus and there's another young person called Ollie Davies as well uh, who was speaking up. But also there was a guy who spoke up before this, a guy called Jeremy Bates from WA. And certainly the media coverage is going to be slow getting started. But uh, an interesting phenomenon is that Christians sort of are really hand in hand with um, a significant number of feminist groups on this issue. Um, and uh, it is really the feminist groups in the UK that have been able to agitate for uh, 
real progress over there. Uh, and I do think in the journalistic circles, uh, in the academic circles, uh, there is a significant presence of uh, feminists, and there are certain kinds of feminists who are deeply sceptical of the whole transgender thing. And the reason being, as we have seen, uh, when you have transgenderism, you have an erasure of what it means to be a woman. Uh, that's why you have uh, sort of biological men in women's sports and in women's safe spaces and all this kind of thing. And so there is a certain kind of feminist who is dead against this. Uh, and we are finding uh, unlikely support from that group. Uh, and they tend to be leading the charge and uh, great effect in the UK. Uh, and here in Australia, I wouldn't be surprised if it is that group that takes it up in the media. Martin, a very quick coverage. We're running short of time, but Anthony Albanese is reportedly under some pressure from Queensland's Labor government to change some laws that prevent doctors using telehealth to discuss assisted dying. Uh, Some big implications for this. Uh, What are your thoughts on some developments that are happening? Well, this is uh, this just exposes what euthanasia is, I suppose, Neil. Um, we've got a situation here where the Queensland government has passed euthanasia laws, so now they have to go to the federal government and they're saying, well, actually, we've discovered that there's this federal law that prohibits inciting of counselling of suicide over the phone and, or internet. And so, federal government, you're going to have to change that law so that it's no longer illegal to advocate or motivate people to commit suicide online or on the phone, or to encourage a particular method of committing suicide. Now, suicide's a leading cause of death amongst Australians. Those laws exist for incredibly good reasons, but it just shows you what euthanasia really is. (laughs) In order to bring euthanasia laws in in a way that people won't get prosecuted for following through on them, they have to get the federal government to permit the counselling of suicide. And so, again, ACL is calling on the federal government not to change those laws because they exist for very good reasons uh, and perhaps to realise that euthanasia is suicide by another name. Well, all of Australia's six states have embraced voluntary euthanasia for the terminally ill, but uh, telehealth uh, rules protect the vulnerable. There's a major uh, disconnect in those laws there and... uh, Uh, That ought to be something of a prayer point for listeners today. Hey, just quickly, you've got your Truth of It Live tour coming up and uh, the focus on Babylon. You've got a number of dimensions that you're bringing in some of the major capital cities. There's a lot of excitement, a lot of interest in seeing you present this presentation. Uh, You've got uh, Babylon rising, Babylon reigning and Babylon falling. You must be looking forward to these, Martin. Well, yeah, these are going to be very good. I mean, it's not only me. Uh, These events uh, contain several components, uh, and the whole thing is uh, going to be quite spectacular. It's going to be really worth going to. I think uh, the best pitch I could make to people is that by coming along to these events, uh, you will be renewed in your courage, and you will be very much renewed in your hope. Uh, As we talk there about what it means, you know, quote-unquote Babylon is what we're living in. It's a society like Babylon, a a post-Christian society, uh, but how to live for God in this time and to encourage people and strengthen people with some really good equipping uh, around that. The events are in Sydney, Canberra and Melbourne. I would just say Canberra is likely to sell out soonish, so get onto that, people, if you're uh, being a bit slow. But they're coming up in September, October and November. Uh, you can register online at acl.org.au slash Babylon uh, or just go to the homepage and the link will be there. Uh, and look, really would love to see you there. It will be well worth it.
So for listeners around Sydney, the Sydney event, 24th of September, Babylon Rising. In Canberra on the 29th of October, Babylon Raining. And for Melbourneites on the 11th of November, Babylon Falling. acl.org.au forward slash Babylon. Uh, acl.org.au, the website for the Australian Christian Lobby. Martin Isle, Managing Director of the ACL. Martin, thanks so much for a great update today on 2020. Thank you, Neil. Always a pleasure. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.